This is the Internet Ballers Podcast, episode 34. This is the Internet Ballers Podcast with your host, Michael Pasha, the show for internet entrepreneurs who want to learn how uncertainty and struggle turn into confidence and success. Welcome to the Ballers Circle. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Baller Circle. I'm Michael Pasha, the host of the Internet Ballers podcast, and today I'm excited to welcome Aaron Jenks to the Baller Circle. Aaron went through a lot of failures, and today he loves to share his inspiring story and let other people know that success is possible for all of us. Aaron attributes his remarkable turnaround and success to his cutting-edge sales skills, which, as he describes, took him from food stamps to freedom. Aaron, tell us a little bit more about that story. I mean, going from food stamps to freedom, that's that's a huge jump. So so what happened there? What how, how did you make that uh that that enormous leap? Well, Michael, there's a little bit of time that well before that, before I got on food stamps, is when I was graduating high school, I graduated with a one point nine nine nine. So as as low as you can get <laughs> and still graduate. As a matter of fact, I was concerned that I wouldn't graduate because I wasn't at a 2.0, but they said, no, it's at a 1.99, so you, it's like a 2.0. So I said, <laughs> well, okay. So I didn't argue with them anymore. And I, was, I remember feeling like <laughs> maybe they made a mistake. Right. And I made the bad grades not because I'm not intelligent. is actually quite the contrary, is that they said it was, it was too easy, too boring for me, but they couldn't put me in advanced placement because I didn't make good enough grades. Hmm. So... I just kind of, you know, didn't want to learn what they wanted to teach me. And I went through high school basically chasing girls hmm. and not doing, not doing my work. So when I graduated, I did sign up for community college. But I figured that that was dumb. So I figured I signed up community college. My dad wasted the money on that because I dropped out the first week because I thought this is like the, more of the same. Community college it looks a lot like high school here. Mm-hmm. And I dropped out and I got a job with a Fortune 500 company that sold advertising and marketing to small and medium-sized businesses. And I got an opportunity to, I got, it was an errand boy position. It wasn't anything glamorous. It was just a grunt, you know, grunt work. And I would drop off invoices, pick up checks, yada, yada, yada. Then I got the opportunity to go re-sign a old existing account and I upsold them. So they said, hey, that was cool. Why don't you go out and see if you can sell, sell some stuff? So I did, and uh, during that cycle, I, I sold more than anybody else had before. I broke all kind of records, and then I got you know promoted, 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 and mm-hmm. I was make, doing really, really well in the in the company. And then when I was nineteen, so a year later, I got into real estate investing, and for several years, I did both at the same time. I, I, I was with the company as sales training, you know, regional executive things like that, and off into real estate investing, making a lot of money. But when the market crashed, the method that I used to buying houses also crashed. And by then I had stopped working with the advertising company and went full on into real estate because I was making so much money. But when the market crashed, that method went away. So I had money saved, but not that much because I was super young guy and thought it would last forever. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and when you go to making lots and lots of money to where there's none, cash flow dries up pretty quick. Got to have cash flow out there, guys. And and so I went broke, 
didn't get a job and you know we had to come to the point where you had to eat i had a wife and some kids and we had to eat and so uh you know my wife signed us up wow and that's how it, that's how that's how i crashed i crashed because i had a bad attitude and i was feeling bad for myself like well, what am i gonna do and trying to figure stuff out and it was a a tough dark place for me you know i had many times wished that i was dead or uh, that i'd never been born and you know, it, it's one thing to never been successful. It's another thing to have been successful and then be, you know, for all intents and purposes, a loser. Mm -hmm. And that's the worst. So if you've always been a loser, you don't know, any, you don't know any difference. And, but I did. And, uh, when you're able to buy whatever you want and do whatever you want and go wherever you want, taking trips and, and just money's not a, you don't even think about it. That to not being able to buy food, big big difference. Wow, that's a powerful story. And and the thing about that is, I think I think you're definitely right in that. Uh, you know that fall from grace, right? Is 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 so hard. I mean, obviously anyone in that in a, in a situation where they're on food stamps and you're struggling financially is is difficult. But knowing where you were and and con and having that constant reminder of what you used to be able to do. Uh, I'm sure it just compounds that it makes it so much more difficult. So, so your own food stamps, you, you know, you, you have this, you know, uh, huge fall. How did you turn it around? What, what happened and how did you get your life back together and, uh, become, uh, the successful, uh, internet baller that you are today? Well, I tried to think that, okay, maybe I'll go get some jobs. I had a real estate license because it helped in being an investor, just having access to the MLS and being able to you know, put my own offers in and skip, skip out on dealing through realtors. So I had my license. So I said, well, I live in Orlando. So, you know, I've met some guys who seem to be doing okay selling timeshare. So I went and my family is, has a big background in timeshare. Hmm. And I went and signed up to get on a timeshare line because I needed money. And uh, it was very hard for me to do that because Number one, I'm an independent person. So when I was working at the advertising company, they left me alone. It was like having my own business. I mean, they never questioned me. It was because I produce. My people would produce. And so it's, it's, it was like I never had a job. So then I had to show up to a resort. And, uh, I mean, I'd have anxiety attacks, sweating. You know, it felt like I was going to pass out when I was there. I mean, and a, a typical timeshare person, timeshare salesperson will get maybe one out of 10 tours. They'll sell one out of 10 tours. It's usually like a $20,000 sale. Hmm. And um, then if they, if they get lucky, they might get two out of 10 once in a while, but usually it's going to be like every one out of every 10th tour. Or that, that seems to be average. And you, if you're super, super lucky, you might take down two in a row. Maybe. And you had a really good freak time if you did that <laughs> well i sold my first six in a row really yeah six in a row wow and they called me legend and then w once i did that i quit hmm. because i thought first of all i saw my commission check it wasn't it wasn't very exciting <laughs> uh and and then i conquered that and, and that one thing though that did do for me is it gave me confidence again because like hey you know like i'm really good you know, and I'm, I'm like better than all these people. And I just started. Hmm. So 
I got out of that and I went back to what I knew, which was real estate and uh, sales consulting. And I did both just like I'd done previously that made me successful. So I just went back to what it was, changed a few things, learned a new way to acquire houses and, um, you know, some different methods because people, here's what I learned during bad economies. There's always somebody getting rich, new rich, new money. Hmm. And during good economies, there's always somebody going broke, rich to poor. So if you could be either one in any one of those economies, then I'm just going to be the guy who's getting rich during the bad economy. <laughs> right, right. It's all your perspective, right? Right. So that's what I did. And and I, I got back into it. I did real well until I, I got to the place where I became financially independent i didn't need to work anymore so i got bored and uh when you you know when you don't got to pay the bills it takes the pressure off and or you don't have any bills i don't have any bills so then i started a podcast like you have and i started to interview online entrepreneurs just like everybody else does just like you're doing <laughs> right and I, I i had no really i didn't know really what was going to be my unique selling proposition i just knew that I should start a podcast because everybody and their mom was starting a podcast. So I did. And people happened to start to reach out to me very, very slowly at the beginning where they said, Hey, you're a sales guy. Can you help me with sales tips? I said, well, not for free. <laughs> oh, of course not. And so I, you know, time went on and I, I listened to the market and they wanted sales training out of me. And so I'm probably, the best, you know, one of the top three sales trainers in the world, in my opinion, hmm. in my awesome. opinion. And this includes Grant Cardone or whoever. Okay. He's, he, the, the people now that I train are coaches They're in client acquisition because that's what they wanted for me. So now I have the six figure coaches club and we're opening up the seven figure coaches club. And, uh, and just teaching them how to sell. There's a lot of great coaches out there. They're good at what they do. They're a good health coach. They're a good mindset coach, life purpose coach, life coach, whatever kind of coach they are, right? Mm -hmm. But they don't know how to get clients. They, they, they rely upon referrals or luck or, or try to do content marketing, which takes forever. And it's a very passive way to, to make money. And uh, they, you know, they, so I teach them how to sell, how to get leads through harvesting, through hunting, and how to close people on the phone to be their client. So what's your sales process? Well, there's two phases. There's hunting and harvesting. So this is the leads process, and then that leads up to leads lead to sales, right? Mm -hmm. So when you get a appointment, either through going out and beating the bushes, you know, talking with people, going wherever your prospects are, whether that's Facebook groups or whether that's, you know, at a pub, who knows, then you get the appointment. So I think this is what you're asking. What do you do to sell somebody? Right. It's a, a four-step process that I teach. No one else teaches it like this. To me, this is the best process. It's you start with framing. So you frame to go to pain, to go to the brain, to win the game and it all rhymes so it's easy to remember <laughs> right so when you set a frame you control the conversation a guy who, who popularized this his name is Oren Claff he wrote a book called pitch anything 
Now, he didn't invent framing. He just wrote a book that kind of brought it more mainstream because I've been doing framing since I'm 18, and the people who taught it to me have been doing it since the 60s. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not new, but it's new to you know, most people who, in the world. It's because he kind of popularized it. Framing is about neuroeconomics and neuroscience, and it's about dominating someone's amygdala part of their brain that that is the fight or flight part that hmm. rejects new ideas so it's it's dominating that with your frame which is control to control the relationship to make you the prize so that at the end of a sales call they're asking you how they can work with you and it's them selling you on why you should work with them and not the other way around it's a much more stronger position to be in believe me hmm. yeah that sounds pretty awesome so you go from frame to the bre- to to the pain so you set the frame, you take control of the relationship instantly right off the bat, and then you go into them puking on you about their pain as it relates <laughs> to your product or service. Because this is, a, this is a fact, and you could fact check it, Google it, whatever. Human beings will do more to avoid pain than they will to get pleasure. So a lot of people try to sell all my benefits, my features, my this, my that, and the other. But look, you get someone to feel the pain of the situation they're in, where you magnify that pain, you, you unearth it, all that's under there. I don't care what you're selling. Then they will do what it takes to escape that pain if you do a good enough job of probing and getting them to really describe that pain. You're giving them a state alteration. Hmm. So their state becomes one of like they're depressed. So when I'm talking to coaches, I just get them to describe what their current situation is like. And how much they're struggling and how it's not going to change and how they're clueless and how they're going to go broke and how they're going to have to go get a job. I let them tell me. <laughs> right. So I, I get the pain out. Well, then when it gets to the point where I'm like, I, they can't be any more depressed. You give them the solution. This is step three. You talk to their brain because people buy on logic, but they're sold on emotion. So the, the emotion part is the pain. But if you don't sell to their logic, you won't close as many people because I'm sure this has happened to you where you've sat in a new car. You ever sat in a new car? Yeah. You ever smell that new, that new leather? Exactly. <laughs> you ever looked at that price tag and thought, you know, I could get approved for this, but these payments would make my life horrible. Yep. You, you were sold on emotion, but you would love to have this car, but you didn't buy on logic because it didn't make sense for where you're at in your life. So you, you have to solve the logic equation too and then tell them how you got to speak to their emotions and to their logic and tell how your product or service alleviates that pain and do it in a way that makes sense and they'll buy. Hmm. So that they, they'll buy because remember transactions occur when the value of what you're asking is lower than the price that you're asking. So they have to perceive the value is higher than the than the, the actual costs or price price, right. huh. and then you get you get paid. So the frame to the pain to the brain to win the game, which is getting paid on the same event as the appointment. One call closing because eighty percent of the people that you don't close on the first call will never close. Hmm. So is phone calls your your primary uh, method for closing? It, this works with anybody. 
but yes, for me it is now. Okay. So are you a fan? What's your, what's your opinion of, uh, you know, I, I know, you, you know, you, you talked about content marketing. It takes forever. Very, very true. Um, what about other strategies that people use using uh, paid advertising, webinars, uh, that sort of stuff? What, what, what are your opinions on those? They're all harvesting methods. So you have to have hunting and harvesting where you hunt, you take down your kill one by one. Harvest is slow, right? So like right now, if we waited till the harvest, we'd starve to death. Mm-hmm. So we got to go out and hunt deep. People who see naked and afraid know that you got to hunt deep. <laughs> right. Because it would take a long time to grow a berry or an apple tree. So you have to do both, especially when you're starting. Content marketing, podcasts, which is a form of content marketing, you know, um, blog writing, all that stuff are all harvesting methods and email list building and all that. But they should lead to leads. And the best way to close somebody is on the phone. And this is this has always been the way on the phone or in person, I should say. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are getting away from webinars. On the online space, because they let's say you had. Really, let's say you had a thousand people on a webinar where really you don't have a thousand people. Most of those people are not your prospects. Really, if you dwindle that down, you have a hundred people that are real prospects. Hmm. And any all the internet marketers, most of them will admit that. A lot of the other people, they're not qualified. You know, they don't have the money. They're, they're, they're just bodies. Well, bodies don't matter. Numbers don't matter. What really matters, the numbers that matter is how many sales you make. Mm-hmm. That's the numbers that really matter. So you have a hundred. You would be better off taking a hundred calls. Your closing ratio would be much higher than if you did a hundred people on a webinar. Hmm. And if they were all assuming they're all qualified prospects. So let's say you close 10% of them on, if you did a webinar, but if you did calls from the hundred, you probably close like, you know, double that or triple that depending on your skill level as a salesperson. So we're talking about the difference. Let's say you sold a $5,000 product. So you sold 10, that's 50,000. But if you sold just double that because you took them on the phone, that's a hundred thousand. Right. But what about the time factor, right? I mean, I maybe maybe I'm not thinking about this the right way, but the way I see the webinar is is you know you can talk to a hundred people at the same time. You have your you know your cart at the end, and you know X amount of people buy. But on the phone call, you can only talk to one person at a time. So um, can you can you break that down a little bit? Why the webinar would be less effective from uh, a time perspective than a phone call? Well, because of the you can always hire salespeople to take calls right and you're likely never to get a thousand a thousand people uh, or so like let's say it, it took you a thousand suspects to get a hundred prospects so you'd never be able to get to that point anyway where you got enough bodies on a webinar without making a certain amount of money so i think the premise is wrong anyway because you wouldn't be a solopreneur at that point mm-hmm. nobody getting a thousand people on a webinar is a solopreneur nobody right Okay. So with where like with somebody who's just starting, getting a webinar, we're gonna get twenty, thirty, a hundred people on there. Out of the hundred, you might have ten qualified prospects. So just take the ten calls. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. Now so, if you get if if you get a thousand people on a call, do your presentation and then have them call in and have like a little a bullpen of salespeople who convert convert those calls. 
You could do both. It's not an either or. So what do you think? Do you think, uh, and I guess I'll, I'll, I'll ask a question that, that seems to be the kind of age old thing. Do you think salespeople are made or born or is there a mix of both? Made. Okay. So you can teach anyone to sell. Just about anybody. I mean, some people are so introverted. I mean, I've seen some pretty introverted people where they're afraid to pick up the telephone to say hello. They're so bad. Hmm, wow. And I've seen them turn into pretty good salespeople. But I'm naturally introverted. A lot of people don't know that because they don't know me personally. But I'm naturally introverted. When I turned 18, back in my story, I learned to become, adopt some of the skills of the extrovert. But by and large, introverts make better salespeople than extroverts because they listen better. They have more empathy. They ask better questions. They're more organized. They're more thorough. So extroverts are sloppy. They don't prepare. They talk too much. They tell too many stories. They get off topic. It's much easier to train a good, an introvert to be a great salesperson than an extrovert. And I've trained them all. I've trained more salespeople than I can remember. And I'm telling you, it's, it, if you're an introvert out there, there's chances for you. And if you're an extrovert, well, the chances aren't as good. Because <laughs> the odds are that you don't listen enough and you... To, for your own good. <laughs> I see that. Okay. Um, so let's talk about price points. Uh, cause I'm thinking, uh, you know, typically when I think about the type of sales that you would make on a phone call on a webinar, uh, they would usually be much higher ticket items. Uh, yeah. so it, it, in, in your mind, what price point should someone be selling a product at, uh, in order to make a phone call for a phone call to make sense? Well, First of all, I wouldn't do anything for under 2500 Okay. I wouldn't sell anything. I mean, I, I mean, people tell me all the time, oh, you need to write a book. You need to write a book on the four steps. And um, I, I, I mean, it, uh, books don't make money. Everybody knows that. Even guys who sell a lot of books say that books don't make Unless you self-publish, and I get that. But if you really want to be a big make a big dent you need to go get a publisher mm -hmm. you know that's just the way it is if you want to like you, you know get on i don't want to do things small i'm an intense guy so i'm not going to just put out a book so that a couple thousand people are going to buy it i mean i want to go on the new york times bestseller list so i wouldn't I, I say all that to say this the same reason i wouldn't i don't want to sell books right now is the same reason that i wouldn't sell anything for under twenty five hundred dollars is that the reward versus labor is not there. Why don't I just sell for the same amount of effort something that's $2,500 as opposed to something that's $25 or, 20, or $250? You feel me? Right, right. So if you're going to pick something anyway and you're getting started, just pick something that's $2,500. <laughs> right, and just kind of don't even worry about the small, uh, yeah. smaller products. Just go straight for the big time. The more dollars you waller in, the more stick to you. Right. Okay. I like that. So let's let's kind of take a step back a little bit because uh, I love the four step sales process. Uh, that makes so much sense, and I think that that's that's awesome. Uh, the thing I am thinking about right now is, and I'm sure a lot of other people who are listening are thinking, how do I get people to that phone call in the first place? So let's talk about the harvesting piece, and what what advice do you have for good harvesting and getting people to a point where you can even get them on the phone? Well, nothing beats the hunting, which comes first. Is Going out to where your prospects are, if it's Facebook groups, if it's 
cold calling, if it's going up to a business, you know, door to door, which I've done many thousands of times earlier in my career, there's nothing beats going to where your prospects are, asking them questions to identify their pain, and then setting up a strategy session. And then getting them, that's how, it's just that simple. I always tell people, look for low-hanging fruit. Low-hanging fruit. You don't want to convince anybody to be interested in what you have. That's different than selling. They need to have, you know, a lot of people teach the attention, uh, attention, interests, and desire, all that. I, look, let, go for the low-hanging fruit. Make your life a lot simpler. Go Like in my case, the coaches that know that they need more sales, they know they need more clients, or they know, or they know that they, they don't know how to sell good. Why should I try to convince anybody that they need to learn how to sell better? That's just an uphill battle. They're not, they're not ready yet. The, the fruit's not ripe. Mm-hmm. So there's enough out there. There's enough people out there. No matter what you're selling, there's people that know that they need, you know, let's just say something really basic, an alarm system. You know, they're looking for a new car. They're looking for whatever. So go to where those people are generally gathered. Identify them by asking probing questions, you know, individually. Treat them like human beings and not like copy and pasting or just, you know, all this stuff. Treat people like people and uncover those pain points. And then don't puke on them about your product or service. Offer an opportunity to set up an appointment to to talk about it. Hmm. And then follow the process. Okay. So Facebook groups, is that, is that your main uh, online avenue for, for hunting? Or where else do you like to hunt? Yes. Facebook, you can do it on LinkedIn. You can do it on Twitter. Any platform will work. Okay. So how does hunting work on, on LinkedIn? I'm, I'm, yep. Well, would, you'd, have to have, you'd have to have the... First of all, LinkedIn is not the best place. Mm-hmm. It's Facebook. LinkedIn is kind of like a... It's, 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 it needs a lot of work. In the, in the business space, Facebook is what LinkedIn wanted to be, uh, <laughs> because Facebook algorithms have gone down with the business pages. So now people are using their personal pages as like their network rolodex. Mm-hmm. So now people are graduate, you know, they're 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 following because the exposure is much better than LinkedIn. So I'll tell you about Facebook, and you can apply it to LinkedIn. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. So you, you're in a Facebook group or LinkedIn group, whatever, and you, you add good value to the group. People who like or comment on your posts, you can friend, friend them, have a personal connection. And then you, they'll see your personal wall of, of stuff because now they're in, you're in their feed. And you, you target them at where you have all, let's say in Facebook, you have 5,000 friends where you keep 500 for friends and family. Then you have 4,500 made it up of prospects. Well, all ideal avatars for you that you've collected through Facebook groups because they've liked and you, you know, comment on your post. Now that you're, you a friend request them, now you're friends. So then you would, when they, when they like your posts again on your, in your page, you say, Hey, I saw you liked my post. I checked you out. I saw you did this, that, and the other. Uh, I, I really liked your post about this. How long have you been doing that? Mm-hmm. And then they ask you a question. Well, that's interesting. You know, I do this too and blah, 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 blah. And then you say, you know, and I see that you, you know, you have this widget. Do, do you have anything to support that widget? And they say, uh, no, I thought about getting it, blah, blah, blah. And then you say, well, you know, my product or service, blah, 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 can help with that. Why don't let's set up a time, a strategy session to talk. I have, I'm taking calls the next couple of days here. 
and uh, you know we can see if, if it's the right fit. And if they're interested, they'll set up a time. And if they're not, they won't. That's fine. Some will, some won't. So what? Someone's waiting. Right. Huh. I like that. So who's your ideal client? Well, for me, it's a coach who is not at six figures, or if they have gone to six figures, they're not consistently there. So they want to learn. They want the power. They want to be able to decide if they make how much money they make and not be relying upon referrals or whatever kooky ways that they're trying to get people. <laughs> it would be it would be a coach who is struggling in sales. What's your opinion on uh, on paid advertising? Do you do any yourself? I'm an I'm probably uh, have more experience in advertising than maybe hardly uh, most people out there because that's how I got my start in mm-hmm. business, right? So I've done thousands of ads. And the rules for online ads are the same for offline ads. Just the methods change. So I do do paid ads on Facebook, and I'm, I do them very well. But it's a combo. You know, you, you got to do, do ads, you know, and then you also got to do individual touches. I mean, look at Gary Vee. He still goes out and does he, – he does his own pitches. You know that? He sells his own his, – his digital – he has a digital – advertising agency he goes and pitches the companies himself he's always talking about these meetings he's on well that's what he's doing say he makes money he's a salesperson Mm -hmm. so if guys like gary they can't get past it neither can you (laughs) right right so you got to go out and do your presentations do your sales pitches right i just saw Gary on Snapchat. I'm, by the way, I'm not a huge Gary fan. It's just somebody that everybody knows, so I, I mention him. Mm-hmm. But he said, like, yeah, I just nailed a great pitch. Didn't I do any tests as assistant? Wasn't that a great pitch? Yeah, I think we're going to get them. It's what he does. He's a salesman. Right. So what's your, what's your ad strategy? What makes a good ad? I mean, and you talked about, and I, and I think that's so true. The story. The story. Okay. Can you break that down a bit? Well, you... I mean, that would be a whole long lesson, but it's, <laughs> you tell stories and people like stories more than they like, are you 45 years old and overweight and want to get rid of your gut before summer? <laughs> I mean, that's horrible. You know, right. go tell a story with your ad and, and people will engage with it a lot more. You, you see guys like David uh, Seitman Garland doing that all the time and his ad strategy, you know, he tells big, long, huge stories. That's what you do. If you want to have an effective Facebook ad campaign strategy, go tell good stories. Okay. Awesome. Well, Aaron, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I definitely learned a lot about sales myself. Your strategy sounds really, really interesting and really good. Uh, you clearly have a ton of experience and uh, have been really successful. And uh, I, yeah, I love your your uh, your blog and your podcast. Uh, so I wanted to know before we close out, how can the Baller Circle get in touch with you and learn more about your business? They can go to Straight Up Entrepreneurs, and it's my Facebook group. And uh, I don't know when this is going to air, but usually we grow, we have been growing now really, really fast. So just in the last two weeks, we grew by 1,000 members. Nice. So you, you get in the group, get in early, start to get your influence so that you can get friends in there because these are a group of people in Straight Up Entrepreneurs who are tired of the fluff, the fakery, the phoniness, 
everybody can do it, rah, rah, that you get in all these groups, these entrepreneur groups out there mm-hmm. that are may, uh, look, I love women and, 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 but a lot of them are very feminine type groups, but this is not feminine. It's not masculine. It's just real. This group, this group is, uh, we have probably more women than we have men, but they love it because they're tired of all the sissy stuff because here's the reality, dude. Nine out of 10 businesses go out of business in the first five years. Right. And out of those that make it, nine out of 10 of those go out of business. So you don't need me to give you a massage. You need for me and other entrepreneurs who have done it to tell you what's up and what's not. And that's it. And that's what we do. We give it to you straight up so you can go straight up. Awesome. I like that. Goes along with the title. What's what's up? Well, Aaron, thanks a lot for coming on the show. I really appreciate the time. Uh, and yeah, let's uh, let's definitely stay in touch. Thanks for listening. That's our show for today. You can check out the blog post for this episode and listen to more episodes of the Internet Ballers podcast at www.internetballers.com. Thanks for listening to the Internet Ballers podcast. Through our guest stories, you will learn the path to go from struggling entrepreneur to internet baller. We'll see you on the next episode.